And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Everyone, I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Joseph Cotton stars on the Cavalcade of America from 1944. Then, Bob Crosby and Ronald Reagan are guest stars on part one of the Doris Day Show from 1952. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Nice. We're going to get to hear the uh, president of the United States. Well, not the current one. No, but... <laughs> not the current one, but he was uh, president. Yes, he was. Not at this time. In 1952, he wasn't. <laughs> no. But uh, all right. Well, we have that coming your way. But first, The Cavalcade of America. This was an anthology drama series. Came to radio in 1935 and lasted all the way to 1953, sponsored by DuPont. These were documented historical events using stories of individual courage, initiative, and achievement with triumphs against all odds, often through technological innovation. And this was a terrific series, Lisa. We're going to play an episode for you now from June 5th, 1944. This is called Treason. It stars Joseph Cotton now in part one of The Cavalcade of America. Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents Joseph Cotton and Richard Warren in Treason. Tonight we bring you a story about a traitor, Benedict Arnold, who broke faith with his own generation and so with the future, and about a young officer in the American Revolutionary Army, Major Matthew Clarkson, who had to choose between blind loyalty to his commanding officer and loyalty to his country. Adapted from Robert Gessner's historical novel, Treason, tonight's cavalcade stars Joseph Cotton as Major Matthew Clarkson and Richard Worf as Major General Benedict Arnold. I have come a great distance over many years to say this to you. But in my own time, I was neither great nor especially brave. But I had first-hand knowledge of one thing, treason. We are betrayed by what is false within, not by men alone. It's true there are certain men branded as traitors, and I know some of their names. They begin with Judas Iscariot, who plotted for 30 pieces of silver. The roll call following his name is long and impressive. But remembering their names doesn't seem to be enough. For in your time... Norway was betrayed by a man named Quisling. France was eaten away by Laval and Patan. And in Czechoslovakia, there's Heinlein. 
Yes, write their names down and remember them. But remember this, too. Treason may begin like a small seed with one man's ambition. But it will only grow in earth that is ready for it. Treason is one man and the blindness of people around him, I know. For my name is Major Matthew Clarkson. And for a time I served under a major general in the American Continental Army. His name is Benedict Arnold. I was assigned to General Arnold's staff early in the fall of 1777 and was ordered to report to him near a place called Saratoga. I found the general sitting alone in his tent and gave him my credentials. As I walked into his tent, he said, Well, Major Clarkson, I see that you are in the Battle of Long Island. Yes, General Arnold. I was wounded there. And what do you say for yourself? Say, sir? Well, it's not the best recommendation. You ran like sheep, I hear. We... We were green troops, General Arnold. Green troops, yellow officers, I'd say. But General Washington Excepting himself... Excepting the commander-in-chief, of course. You'll see better fighting here if you can stand the pace. We hope to engage gentleman Johnny Burgoyne soon. What will you think of that? I... I hope to be of service. Nicely sir. stated, Clarkson. Ah, Major Franks, it's about time. The scout reports Burgoyne is ready to attack. Good. Now we'll trim his fancy curls and his German mercenaries. What a fine day for a fight. Uh, there's also this dispatch from General Gates. Gates! Oh, now see what the devil... By the way, Major Franks, this is Major Clarkson. He's my junior aide. Welcome to Saratoga, Major Clarkson. Thank you, Major Franks. I knew it. Gates is a fool. He's a yellow fool. What are his orders, sir? Orders? You think I'd take his orders? Sir, I know it's not for me to say, but Gates has influence in Congress. Yes, that's why he sends these orders. He's afraid. Afraid someone else will win the war. Well, what do you say, Clarkson? It's not for me to say, sir. I I just got you. Oh, come on. Be a man. Speak up. But uh, I don't know what orders... That's the point. The point is, should I obey the orders of General Gates? Well, since he is your commanding officer, I... I who win battles take orders from that man the militia calls the old fishwife. You obeyed stupid generals at Long Island, Clarkson. What did it get you? A defeat. No, Clarkson. A good general makes his own rules. We're going, sir. He's attacking. Listen to that. It's a sound I like. And General Gates' orders, sir. His orders are that the left flank is not to engage the enemy. I won at Ticonderoga. I waded through the wilderness to attack Quebec... And he wants me not to engage the enemy. But General Gates commands this army, sir. Clarkson, if you're on my staff, I think we should understand some things. Yes, General Arnold. No matter who commands this army, I command you. And I want no timid men around me, do you hear? We need victories to win this war. That's obvious, sir. Obvious? It's not very clear to General Gates. If it isn't clear to you, take your blasted orders and go back with them. Well, what do you say? I... I'll stay, sir. Good. Major Franks, tell my orderly to bring my horse. Right away, General. It's going to be a first-class fight, Clarkson. I'm glad to hear it, sir. Tell me, Clarkson... I've seen many young officers in this war. Most of them are weak. They quibble over everything. But you came around very quickly to my point of view. Why's that? Well, sir, we were defeated on Long Island, badly beaten. And it makes a man sick at heart, sir, that kind of defeat. Yes, Major? So I made up my mind, sir, that if I could find a strong man, a real leader, why, I'd follow him to hell and back. Clarkson. Think you could drink this? Give you strength. Thank you. What's wrong with me, Major Franks? I, I've been unconscious. Just a neck wound. You lost a lot of blood. And uh, the general? Right here, Clarkson. They got me in the leg. <clears throat> we'll convalesce together. Oh, I didn't see you, General. I'm sorry about the legs. Well, it's true. If it weren't for this, we'd have chased them into the Atlantic. Uh, it was a first-class fight, sir. Just what you said. The uh, general told me you did well, too. I didn't see you. He did nobly. Brought credit to himself. 
carried my dispatch right between the lines. Well, tell me, sir, your, your, your leg, it's not serious. No, 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 if I can keep those doctors from amputating. But even then, to be wounded in a victory is easy. I could even wish it had been my heart. No, sir. Well, I'd have my glory then and no more stupidity to contend with. And uh, General Gates, sir, what has he done about the orders? He's conveniently forgotten them so that he takes some credit for trimming Johnny Burgoyne. Oh, I knew there was no risk. There are even rewards for disobedience. They're going to reward you? Yes, I'm appointed military governor of Philadelphia. Well, well, speak up. Do you like that? Oh, Philadelphia, sir. There's not much action there. I hear it's mostly dancing and Tory ladies... Doesn't seem right for you, sir. <laughs> There'll be plenty of action, Major. Tory ladies, yes, and Tory men. A pretty kettle of intrigue, Philadelphia. How does it sound to you, Major Clarkson? Well, sir, I told you I'd follow you to hell and back, and I guess that includes Philadelphia. Sally Cornell, I, I never thought we'd meet again in Philadelphia. Neither did I, Major Clark. But, Miss Sally, you were a rebel girl. You don't belong here. And you were a rebel man, yet you were here. Yes, but I'm with an army and a rebel general, so I can't be corrupted. Shall we dance, Miss Sally? If you wish, Major Matt. Yes, you're here with an army. But the British don't fight the swords in Philadelphia. No? What are the weapons? Well, look at your general now. He's already lost his first engagement. Oh, you mean the redhead? What's dangerous about her? She's Peggy Shippen, and the British call her the Red Siren. I think General Arnold should be warned. He's talking to her now on the other side. Upon my soul, Miss Peggy, Cliveden's a lovely house. Tell me, what are those bullet marks? In the Battle of Germantown, General, the British held this house. I hear they still do. In a way, General... But you don't seem to mind. No, no, I don't mind. I mean, sitting here in this chair, which looks very like a throne, you seem pretty much a royalist yourself. It's to please you and your royalist friends, Miss Peggy. I know you prefer a throne, no matter who's on it. And would Mr. Washington care for your jokes? The king, Miss Peggy, may call him Mr. We call him General Washington. Very well, General Washington. After all, what can I do? You've conquered Philadelphia, and we are all... Miss Sally, uh, come on out on the terrace with me. All right. We'll go through here. Do you see what I mean, Matthew? She hasn't left him for a minute. Miss Sally. Miss Sally, my general won't lose his head and... Besides, I brought you out here to kiss you. Oh, please, Matt, I'm serious. You don't know how bad it is here. Did you notice that tall, dark man who spoke to the general and Peggy a few minutes ago? Oh, look, there have been dozens of people around him all but evening. But this I... man is a Tory merchant. He trades with the British. If General Arnold isn't weak for redheads, he may be for money. And this man can offer him a great deal of money. Miss Sally, believe me. General Arnold is the strongest man in the Continental Army. He won't be interested in money. And Besides, how do you know about this Tory merchant? I know about him because he's my father. Come in. Oh, Major Clarkson, come in. I don't like to disturb you, sir. No, it's all right, Matthew. I thought I ought to consult with you about the summons. I'm ordered to appear at the State House tomorrow to, to testify. Testify before those yapping politicians about what? Well, I suppose, sir, it's about the court-martial they threaten for you. Oh, yes. And this worries you? You can count on me, sir. They won't get any information from me. And what information could they get? That I've made sacrifices, that I've spilt my blood and my money while the members haggle over my back pay? Sir... 
You know I don't question your loyalty. No man could who's fought with you. And out with it. What worries you? Well, sir, it's it's all these months in Philadelphia. It's uh, it's a bad place, sir. There's gossip and constant intrigue. And is gossip something that you fear? Uh, no, sir, but it... It might make it easier, sir, if you were cautious. I never thought I'd hear you urging caution, Matthew. In little ways, General Arnold, like, uh... Well, like not seeing so much of Miss Peggy Shippen, sir. Her reputation... That's enough, Matthew. I get enough meddling from these fools without you. Oh, no offense, sir. And I think that you should know that I am going to marry Miss Peggy. Hear ye, hear ye, the Supreme Executive Council of the State of Pennsylvania is now in session. Mr. Joseph Reed presiding. The clerk will now read the charges submitted against Major General Benedict Arnold. The indictment against Major General Benedict Arnold is... It is charged... First, General Arnold issued clearance papers to the ship Charming Nancy... ...suspected of trading with the British in New York. Such clearance being issued without the knowledge of the authority of the state. Second, General Arnold used public wagon for the transport of private property. The first witness before this body will be Major Clarkson, aide to General Arnold. Major, will you be seasoned? Thank you, Mr. Reed. You understand this is not a court, but merely an investigating committee. You will not be required to take the oath. I understand that, sir. But still, uh, we expect your cooperation. We are investigating profiteering and will make uh, certain recommendations on our findings to the commander-in-chief. I'll oblige you all I can, Mr. Reed. Splendid. That's the proper attitude. Uh, Mr. Reed. Uh, yes, Mr. Matlock. May I uh, put the first question? You're right ahead, Mr. Matlock. Thank you. Now, Major, what can you tell us of General Arnold's dealings with Mr. Cornell, the merchant? You mean Mr. Cornell, who owns the charming Nancy? That's right. I'm afraid I can tell you nothing, sir. Nothing? (laughs) That's ridiculous, Major Clarkson. You signed clearance for the charming Nancy. Did you do it on orders from General Arnold? I can't tell you that, sir. Major Clarkson, I don't think you understand the issue here. The issue is whether you are serving General Arnold or your country. If you insist on shielding General Arnold... Shield him? From what? Surely you know that the people of Philadelphia are sick of his extravagances. It takes a barrel of money to buy a barrel of flour. And Arnold lives like a king. You'll pardon me, Mr. Matlock, but I know only one thing. And what's that, Matlock? I know that when I serve my general, I serve my country very well. I know that his record in battle is my country's greatest glory, and I know that in return he has received only slander and ingratitude. And, uh, is that all you have to say? Yes, that's all, sir. You're finished with me. I know. You'd better wait outside until we're through. You can take a message from us to General Arnold. A message? Yes, Major. We're going to show General Benedict Arnold the Congress is running Philadelphia. As our DuPont cavalcade continues, General Arnold, played by Richard Wharf, Major Matthew Clarkson, aide-de-camp to General Arnold, played by Joseph Cotton, has returned to Cliveden, Arnold's home, and is talking to his fiancée, Sally Cornell. It's all over? Yes, Miss Sally. The general here. He'll be here. What happened? I have a message for him from the executive council, General Washington. General Washington? Then he has... I can't tell you, not not until I speak to General Arnold. Matthew, no no matter what happened, I don't be depressed. Oh, how can I help it? After all, the executive council does represent the people. And one man isn't so important. One man? How can you talk like that? Have you forgotten Saratoga? Of course I haven't. But anyone could have changed. He could have changed. Sally, you misjudge him. Everyone does. It seems no one knows the meaning of loyalty except myself. And Miss Peggy, thank the Lord, he has Miss Peggy. Yes. 
And he still has his charm. Please, Sally. Please. Oh, I can't help it, Matt. I can't help feeling angry. When you came to Philadelphia, you were sure Peggy would have no effect on him. You knew she was bad, a Tory, but you had faith in him. Now, when he's done what you said he wouldn't, you still have faith in him. Oh, it's not that. Uh, after all, Miss Peggy does no harm. Except that she corresponds with enemy officers. Oh, you mean Major Andre? What harm does that do, silly letters about the latest styles in New York? I, oh, you're all mixed up, Sally. Oh, I wish I could make you see. Well, Matt, I see the vultures turned you loose in one piece. Is Peggy here? She's in the library, General Arnold. So, Matt, give me your news. I'm afraid it's bad news, sir. Bad news? Well, they couldn't prove... They proved nothing except the charge of using the public wagons. Well, that's not a capital offense. No, sir. So what's your bad news? It, uh, it's going to hurt, sir. You see, the committee recommends that General Washington publicly reprimand you. But Washington never in this world... He will, sir. You'll receive his reprimand in the morning. Oh. Well, it's come to this. You say Peggy's in the library? She's expecting you. I'll see her now. Remain here, Matthew. Peggy, I want to see you. Oh, it startled me, Benedict. I'm sorry. Came in so quiet. I'm here. You look ill. Ill? Yes. I am ill. Oh, sit down here, dear. Shall I get you something? No, no, no. Thank you. What is the matter with you? Oh, I know. It's the executive council. Yes. Well, tell me what happened. Washington. General Washington will publicly reprimand me. And is that so frightful? It's more than I can stand, Peggy. Washington. Yes, I still believed in Washington. I'm glad it's happened. No, Peggy. Why, the only thing holding you back from realizing your your destiny was this infatuation for Washington. Now, you know he's like all the others. No, Peggy, he can't be. He's jealous, Benedict. Jealous because you're the greatest general since Marlborough. Only a king can appreciate you as you deserve. A king? Now, you will go ahead. Write to General Clinton in New York. You can send a letter by Mr. Cornell to Major Andre. No, 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 I can't risk it. Easy. When Washington reprimands you, take it graciously with a smile. You can afford to. And after we're married, ask him to appoint you to West Point. He never will. And your king will pay you handsomely for West Point. I suppose there's no dishonor in changing sides. It's been done before. And you'll be the leader of your country, not Mr. Washington. Yes, the leader of my country. And I? I'll be a duchess. <laughs> Benedict, Benedict, do be quiet. You're so nervous. What? Oh, I'm sorry, Peggy. Who'll be at dinner? Major Clarkson arrived this afternoon. Matthew's here? He and Sally have been touring the fort. Oh, I don't like him snooping around. He's an idealistic boy. He might wonder at how the place has become so run down. Matthew adores you. He'd never suspect. Well, it doesn't really matter. The British will attack within a few days, but it's bad waiting. Oh, yes, but afterwards. Oh, my dear, it would be wonderful. General Clinton should have the plans of the fort by morning. Andre's on his way with them now by way of the Tarrytown Road. Washington. You may catch him in your net, too. That would be a victory. A strange sort of victory. No fighting. Clinton will attack. Oh, but the attack will only be a formality. We'll be outnumbered four to one. <laughs> the first battle in history with the same general commands both. <laughs> that is military history. Oh, it's dinner time, Peg, and I'm hungry. Well, come along. Sally and Matthew are probably waiting. I hope there's something worth eating. Sometimes, General, I think you forget this war. Um, Matthew, Peggy said you'd arrived. Welcome to West Point. Thank you, sir. Well, we'll try to make you feel at home. <laughs> that won't be difficult, sir. After all, Miss Sally's here. Well, listen to him. And we spent the afternoon quarreling. Quarreling? 
What do you find here to quarrel about? Oh, the usual thing. Miss Sally's intuition. She worries about spies. Spies? <laughs> Miss Sally's lived too long in Philadelphia. Well, shall we sit down? Yes, let's. There's not much to eat. Only common soldier's fare. Salt fish. I despise it. Peggy, where's the butter? There isn't any. We'll manage without butter, General Arnold. I know. Where's the oil I bought in Philadelphia? Here it is, dear. Yes. Try this on your fish mats. Fine oil. I paid $80 for it. $80? Well, my friend Smith says that's 80 cents in continental money. Smith is a Tory, sir. What? Oh, yes, yes, I suppose he is. Miss Sally wrote he'd visited here. Well, what of that? The devil might visit here. Perhaps, sir. But you shouldn't be seen in the company of a man like Smith. He's dangerous, sir. After all, you've already had trouble. You... Are you threatening me, Major Clarkson? Benedict, please. I'm not threatening you, sir. But I think you should know that Smith is a spy. That's ridiculous. For whom? How do you know this, Matthew? I asked. I inquired of people I knew in Albany. You inquired? You had the nerve... I did it to protect you, sir. You went over my head to make inquiries in Albany? And I thought I could trust you. But you're like the rest, sneaking, prying... Benedict, careful. Major Clarkson, I order you... You to pack your things and leave West Point by tomorrow night. That's the first portion of the Cavalcade of America. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the Cavalcade of America. I thought I could help you pack, Matthew. I'm almost finished. Sally, just sit there and talk to me. I suppose you think I was a fool. Oh, no, Matt. I was proud that you stood up to him. Maybe now you'll believe me. Believe the general's a traitor just because he lost his temper? Nonsense, Miss Sally. But I told you this afternoon I have proof. Here, read this. A letter addressed to General Clinton in New York. From whom? Read it. Sir, I may soon be in a position to command the defenses of West Point and am respectfully inquiring what price... Miss Sally, where did you get this? From my father. It's a copy. And? He took the original to New York. You think it's from Arnold? I'm sure of it. Matt, I wasn't sure when I first read it. Only afraid. But what else explains conditions here at West Point? A hundred men could take this fort. No. No, Miss Sally, I, I'm sure there's an ex explanation. Oh, Matt, you're a blind, silly boy. But if you're going to hear his explanation, you'd better hurry. Why, Miss Sally? Just before I came here, the general got a dispatch, and it upset him. He asked that his horse be saddled. He's going somewhere. General Arnold, may I speak to you, sir? I'm in a devil of a hurry, boy. It'll only take a minute. Well, what is it? I don't want a prize, sir, but where are you going? Well, you know that Washington is inspecting the area. Well, Sally told me you got a dispatch. Well, this is a military fort, Major Clarkson. I, I thought there might be some connection, that the dispatch was why you are leaving. Matthew, what are you driving? I at? don't quite know, sir. All I know is that this time I must be sure. Sure of what? I must know what, what's in that dispatch. Matthew, you're upset. We had a regrettable quarrel. Believe me, I'm sorry. I'm it. sorry too, sir. Then we'll forget it. And you can forget about the dispatch. The dispatch is incriminating. It won't incriminate you, Matthew. That's not what I asked, General Arnold. Well, then, why not tell you? It is incriminating. From a rebel point of view. Was it about West Point, sir? I'm leaving, Matthew. My messenger to General Clinton was stopped. And he carried the plans for the fort. It was Major Andre. And 
Miss Sally was right. Now, don't stand there, boy, like a sick puppy. If you're afraid for yourself, I'll take you with me. After all, you've served me well. Yes, I've served you well. You've been like a son to me. You have youth, idealism. I've needed that. You call it idealism? Oh, come now, Matt. It's an easy choice, and I won't forget your loyalty. Yes, I have had loyalty. But whom will you be loyal to, Benedict Arnold? Well, are you coming with me? No, no, General Arnold. I'm staying. General Washington. Major Matthew Clarkson reporting. I've heard of you, Major. And now you command West Point. You joke with me, sir. No, I knew Arnold would run when he heard we'd stopped Andre. And I knew we'd find you there. I'm submitting myself for arrest, sir. Arrest, Major? For treason, sir. That's a big word, Major Clarkson. And an evil one. But we have no reason to believe... No, I'm guilty, sir. I'm guilty because I believed in Arnold... Even when I should have known. That's treason, sir. I followed him blindly. Blindly. That was treason against yourself, Major Clarkson. I can't arrest you for that. Against myself, sir? And I parole you to yourself. Major Clarkson, we who love the people must live and learn. And the hardest lesson is this. That men come to our cause for many reasons. And leave it for many reasons. Because some men love only themselves. But there is one thing that is constant. Yes, I know, sir. Our cause is constant. Thank you, Joseph Cotton and Richard Walk. Now here is Joseph Cotton, co-star of tonight's Cavalcade. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I suppose the world is full of Matthew Clarksons who've been misled by their blind admiration for big and little Führers. But I'm inclined to believe that this generation of G.I. Joes is by comparison pretty hard-headed and clear-thinking. Next week, Cavalcade's audience will hear another exciting story, My Fighting Congregation. It's the thrilling and true story of Chaplain William C. Taggart. And one of your favorite actors, Brian Donlevy, will be starred in it as Captain Taggart. So I'll be listening with the rest of you. Thank you and good night. Cavalcade is happy to remind its audience that Joseph Cotton will soon be seen as one of the stars in David O. Selznick's newest picture, Since You Went Away. Richard Wharf appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical, Bathing Beauty. Cavalcade's music was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. This is James Bannon sending best wishes from Cavalcade sponsor, the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware and inviting you to listen next Monday evening to My Fighting Congregation, starring Brian Dunleavy with Wally Mayer. In weeks to follow, Cavalcade will present other favorite actors with stars such as Richard Conte, Kevin O'Shea, Walter Pidgeon, and many others. Monday evening is good listening over NBC. For your further listening pleasure, may we suggest that you stay tuned for the Firestone program, the Bell Telephone Hour, and Information Please, which are to follow over most of these stations. The Cavalcade of America came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
And that's the Cavalcade of America from June 5th, 1944, with Treason, starring Joseph Cotton. That was sponsored by DuPont, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoy that. Before we tune into the Doris Day Show, I want to remind all of our listeners about our surprise boxes. You want to tell our listeners about them, Lisa? Yes, we have three surprise boxes. The first one is Classic Radio on CD. The second one is Classic TV and Movies on DVD. The third one is Twilight Zone on CD. So we have three different options. All of them are wonderful. Everybody's been loving them. Go to our website at Hollywood360radio.com. There's a pop-up right there. You can choose surprise box number one, number two, or number three. Oh, it's like Price is right. Remember, you have the boxes. You can choose you, box one. You pick which two. door you yeah, want. Yeah, and sometimes you got a great prize and sometimes you well, didn't. But this, this is time, different because you always get a great right. prize. You choose what you want. It's only $39.99. It is a great deal. You get over $150 of product. You will listen for hours and hours and enjoy the product. Just, again, go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, and check out. You will find a pop-up for the surprise box. All right. Thanks, Lisa. All right, it is time now for the Doris Day Show. This was a musical variety show, came to CBS in 1952, and Doris had many artists and friends as guests who had helped her during her meteoric rise to fame, including Danny Thomas, Ray Bolger, Kirk Douglas, Cornell Wilde, and Frankie Lane. It was sponsored by Rexall. It served as a summer replacement for the Amos and Andy show, and later it was picked up by CBS Columbia to promote a line of high-end television sets. This 30-minute weekly show ended in January 1953, but in March of that same year, it became a 15-minute format running for less than a year. Then, of course, she moved on to television, Doris Day, and I then remember movies the TV and show. What all a kinds of great show shows. Yeah, the Doris Day radio show. We have that for you now. Let's go back to June 1st, 1952. Her special guests are Bob Crosby and someone who would be a future president, Ronald Reagan. Let's tune this in. Here's part one of the Doris Day Show. From Hollywood with Bob Crosby and Ronald Reagan as her guests, it's the Doris Day Show. Yes, presented by the Rexall Drug Company and the 10,000 independent druggists who have made Rexall part of their own store names, here is Warner Brothers' lovely singing star, Doris Day. everybody. Oh, it's a real thrill to be on the air for those friendly Rexall people. Well, Doris, what's on the agenda? Well, you ought to know, Roy. You announced that Bob Crosby and Ronald Reagan are on tonight, so that means good music and good fun. Now it's time to present the guy whose Bobcats brought Dixieland jazz back into favor, and whom you can hear now as head man of the very popular radio show Club 15. My good friend and former boss, Mr. Bob Crosby. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I wish you wouldn't call me Mr. Doris. That's my wealthy brother. Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Not only I say that it's always nice to see an ex-employee doing so well. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Say, you know, when I left Cincinnati to go on the road with you and the Bobcats, it was my very first trip away from home. Well, that figures, figure. <laughs> I've been told that I'm the reason that young girls leave home. Oh, come on, don't get so conceited. <laughs> you know, there were a lot of other swell boys in the band, too. Yeah. And let's see, which one was it that everybody called the Washington Wolf? Well, I'm from Spokane, so I ought to know. 
Dodo, you changed all of that. You converted a bunch of bobcats who thought they were wolves into a, a pack of very well-trained Maltese cats. <laughs> well, all I know is the boys were just wonderful to me. Well, how could they have been otherwise? You were sweet 16 and had never been away from home. <laughs> But, Dodo, you're real cute, and yet there was something about you that always put the boys on their best behavior. Something about me? What? Your mother. Uh-oh. I'll tell you something, Dodo. It hardly seems possible today to think back to the time that you worked for me for 35 bucks a week. Yeah, I wonder why you ever did it. Well, you convinced me that it was the prestige that was important. That's right. That salary didn't count at all. That's right. Mm-hmm. I hope somebody pulled that same argument on you. Oh, they did. <laughs> they Last did. Last week, I made a deal to go to work for Jack Benny. <laughs> I hear Jack is a pretty shrewd guy with a buck. Well, Bob. he's no dope with nickels and dimes either. <laughs> you know what Jack's been doing? What? He takes all of his old toupees, sews rabbit tails on the back, and sells them to Kafafa for coonskin hands. <laughs> oh, no. about money started on account of the salary you used to pay me, well, you can drop it. Instead of shooting the breeze, how about breezing into a song for us? Okay, boss? Okay, Doris. Here's a little rundown on Just a Little Lovin'. Just a little lovin' will go a long way And you will make me happy the rest of my day Put your arms around me, then I'll be your slave. Cause just a little lovin' will go a long way. Ever since that time began, love has ruled the world. Even Adam set the pace and started it a world. I met you and now I know that you're the one for me. Come on back and you will plainly see Just a little loving will go a long way And you will make me happy the rest of my day Put your arms around me, then I'll be your slave Just a little loving will go a long way That I love you If you did You'd come on back And make my dreams come true Your eyes, your lips Your loving kisses Seem to linger yet I'll forgive But please don't you forget Just a little loving Will go a long way And you will make me happy The rest of my day Wonderful. You know, folks, I get a lot of letters from the boys in the services, and they give me a pretty good idea of what they like. Take this one, for instance, from Corporal Sam Johnson in Tokyo. Sam writes, Dear Doris, 
Right now, most of us in my outfit are spending as much time as we can catching up on our correspondence. We figure that the more letters we write, the more answers we can expect to get. And believe me, there's nothing like a letter from home. Well, Doris, you're on my list, and that's why I'm writing to you. Incidentally, if you get a chance on your show, I sure would like to hear you sing that new song hit, Be Anything But Be Mine. Well, lots more letters to write, so I'll close for now. And thanks a lot. Signed, Corporal Sam Johnson. Well, folks, I guess that speaks for itself. So if you'll promise to take care of the letters, I'll take care of the incidentally right now. Here it is, Sam, just for you. Be a beggar, be a thief, be my sunshine or my green. Be anything but darling, be mine. Be a wise man, be a fool. Treat me tender or be cruel. Be anything. But darling, be mine Climb to the top of the ladder Be master of all you survey Fail and it still doesn't matter If you love me, everything is okay Be the angel of my prayers Be the devil who cares Be anything but darling Be mine Of the ladder, be master of all you seven. Fail and it still doesn't matter. Cause if you love me, everything is okay. about working in show business is the nice people you get to work with and to know. I recently finished making the winning team the story of Grover Cleveland Alexander, and that's when I really got to know Ronald Reagan. 
A wonderful guy who played a wonderful part. Take it easy, Doris. Take it easy. My ears are burning. Hey, Ronnie, it really looks strange to see you without a baseball glove. You know, it almost feels strange to be without one. Doris, it's going to be a long time before I get another part like that of old Alex. I sure had fun playing it. Oh, I know you did. Especially the baseball scenes. You know, you took to that part like a duck takes to water. Well, why not? I've been playing baseball ever since I was three years old. Since you were three? That's right. Some kids are born baseball players. I was a little late. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got an early start anyway. Then when I was five, I always hung around the 10 and 12-year-old kids. They'd never think of starting a baseball game without me. Oh, they wouldn't? They couldn't. My stomach was third base. (laughs) Well, it's obvious that your youth was devoted exclusively to baseball. Nothing else interested me. Until I was 18 years old, I considered baseball the national pastime. Oh? What happened then? I found out about girls. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when you decided it was just as much fun to pitch woo as to pitch a ball, huh? Say, you know, Ronnie, in Moonlight Bay, I was a tomboy who played baseball with the boys' team. I remember that. Uh, Did you get a kick out of playing, Doris? Oh, I sure did. Except that I was afraid of one kid. A freckle-faced, buck-toothed little character. Well, what worried you about him? Well, he was so buck-toothed, when he slid into a base, he could spike you from either end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are the risks of the game. Baseball's not for sissies. Excuse me, Ronnie, but I saw a preview of the winning team, and I loved it. But you know, if I'd been making it, I'd I'd have done a little different. Bob, what makes you such an expert on baseball? Well, through nepotism, uh, my brother Bang, he owns a hunk <laughs> of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, I uh, saw the standings in the paper. They're not doing too well. <laughs> I know. Somebody wrote a song about the Pirates. There's a ball team in the cellar in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's the first portion of the Doris Day Show. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of March, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Boston Blackie Volume 1 featuring 12 detective adventures. Boston Blackie Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during March is X-1 Volume 1 featuring 12 stories by some of the greatest writers in science fiction. X-1 Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. In April, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during March. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. And while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Doris Day Show from 1952. Then, we'll tune into a good mystery on Somebody Knows from 1950. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.